Welcome back to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and on this episode, we feature a sponsored interview with Intelsat. John Wade, president of the Commercial Aviation Division of Intelsat, joins this episode to explain how the introduction of software-defined satellites will revolutionize in-flight connectivity. Intelsat signed a contract with Airbus earlier this year to build two OneSat satellites operating in multiple frequency bands that will power their next-generation software-defined network. On this episode, John also discusses how the software-defined satellite technology will improve in-flight connectivity performance and also gives a status update on Intelsat's current installation base in terms of the number of commercial aircraft connecting to their satellite network, as well as what they'll be focusing on over the next year to prepare for the introduction of the software-defined satellites. So let's get into our discussion with John Wade, president of the Commercial Aviation Division of Intelsat. So John, first, can you give our listeners just some background on your job title and role with Intelsat, including some of your day-to-day responsibilities there? Yeah, I'm the president of Intelsat Commercial Aviation, and what that means is that I have day-to-day responsibility for running Intelsat's Commercial Aviation Division. Uh, in terms of how long I've been with Intelsat, I've been with Intelsat just under a year. I joined Intelsat as part of the acquisition of GoGo Commercial Aviation. And I was with GoGo for about 14 years prior to that. And I've been involved in aircraft connectivity and communication systems for over 20 years. I see. Very interesting. And, you know, this would be a really good time to catch up on just a sort of status update for Intelsat. Uh, You know, a lot of our listeners are familiar with the, uh, you know, acquisition and merger that happened last year. Could you just first start out by telling us, the current status of the use of Intelsat in-flight connectivity among commercial airlines. How many t- total commercial aircraft are using Intelsat's IFC satellite network right now? Sure. Well, we've got over 20 airlines that we provide service to uh, today on our just over 3,000 aircraft. And that's made up of a combination of not only our 2KU satellite system, but also uh, the air-to-ground system that we still use today that uh, was developed by GoGo. Uh, that's on over a thousand aircraft in North America, on larger regional jets. Uh, but overall, it's about 3,000 aircraft today. Uh, we've got a backlog of several hundred more, so we're adding more aircraft to the fleet as uh, uh, more aircraft can install. And if you were just to look at the uh, passenger, you know, specifically passenger use of Intelsat satellite connectivity right now, over the course of 2021, and, and even if you look back a little bit into 2020, have you seen passenger demand and, and use and engagement of Intelsat's connectivity increase over the last year? That's a great question, Woodrow. And really, so I'd like to paint a, a picture in terms of what's been happening over the last three years, because I think things have irrevocably changed, um, certainly for ourselves and our own personal lives with what happened with COVID, but it's had some interesting ramifications. Uh, I think in aviation as well, and I'll I'll talk to to all of those things. So if you go back to 2019, uh, there was quite a a strong demand for connectivity from the passengers, though it was probably largely being driven by people traveling on business, so a lot of business users. And then COVID hit, and clearly uh, that was just a decimating impact to um, aviation, and I'm sure all all the people listening to this will have experienced some kind of fallout from that. 
the way in which aircraft use just uh, plummeted and went to almost zero, obviously, for a period of time. Um, what we saw as aircraft started flying again was interesting in that um, we are aware of what passenger load factors are like, how many how passengers traveling on aircraft. And what we saw immediately was there was a higher number of, a higher percentage of passengers that wanted to stay connected and were connecting um, as they were flying. That trend has not gone away. And uh, through 2020 and then through 2021, we've seen this gradual increase in passengers flying again. And domestically in North America, we're now back to pretty much close to uh, near pre-COVID levels, um, but we're seeing a much higher number of passengers or much higher percentage of passengers looking for connectivity uh, than were previously. Uh, we were aware through 2021 that most people flying were still traveling on leisure, not on business, but our take rates were higher than they were before COVID. And now we're starting to see business travelers traveling again, and the number of people using it is just going up and continues to go up almost on a weekly basis. So. I think we've reached some kind of inflection point, and I think COVID has sort of accelerated that. We're all now so used to being connected online at home all the time or wherever we are, that demand has now really permeated into aviation as well. So um, I'm very excited about that. I think it means that the future for IFC is going to be incredibly bright um, because I, I just don't see that our desire for uh, uh, being connected when we fly is going to uh, do anything than increase from here on. And, you know, just as a follow-up, this really interesting point you mentioned is that we're so used to being connected online at home, especially, you know, working through the pandemic. Do you think that has driven passenger demand for, you know, really high-quality internet in-flight that you can, you know, stream on and, and sort of use modern applications on in-flight as well? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, I think there's no doubt that what people are looking for today is a, uh, a significant in-flight connectivity experience. Um, they're used to doing video calls and video streaming. Uh, they're used to doing cloud applications, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we are seeing there's a, an increased amount of data that people use on an on a individual session. Uh, so yes, you're absolutely right that people are looking for high-quality sessions. Uh, to reflect what they have been used to over the, the period of the pandemic. Right. And let's talk a little bit about Intelsat's current technology roadmap, which includes the introduction of software-defined satellites that are being developed by Airbus. Can you give just an overview of the capabilities of what these software-defined satellites are, how they compare performance-wise to your current in-orbit satellite network? Sure, and it's actually a great question, and it's something that I'm just tremendously excited about in terms of Intelsat's satellite roadmap. Um, the To date, pretty much every satellite that's out there, and I'll go further, every satellite that's out there today is what I would call very static in the way that it delivers service. Most satellites are static by virtue of the fact that their orbit is what's called geostationary, so they, they sit in one place over the planet, and they're the beam uh, the way that they send energy to the ground is also static. It's fixed, so you can't change it. You know, it's basically um, uh, the service you get, the throughput you get, is fixed at the point the satellite's designed and then when it's launched. And even the non-geostationary satellites, as they, they they fly over the surface of the Earth, they don't stay in one place. But their energy pattern, the radiation pattern onto the ground, stays the same. So um, their utilization tends to be somewhat limited. 
Software-defined satellites are incredibly revolutionary in that the first time ever they're bringing what I would call a dynamic um, way of allocating bandwidth and capacity on a real-time basis. So these become intelligent networks where you can move capacity around as it's needed, and you can literally do things like track individual aircraft. Um, if there's a time of day when you've got a fleet of aircraft moving across the Atlantic west to east, um, you can move capacity to follow that fleet of aircraft, and the same is true in reverse. So it's all about being able to provide capacity where it's needed, uh, at the time that it's needed, with incredible flexibility. We can change the beam size, we can change beam, beam locations. And why is it, all of that is important is it means that the satellites become incredibly efficient and hence incredibly cost-effective. So one of the criticisms of IFC in the past is that it's been very expensive and uh, people have felt they're paying quite a lot for what has felt like something of a limited service. Well, they're going to be paying a heck of a lot less because these satellites are so much more effective. And also, also importantly, from the capacity perspective, we can bring all the capacity that's needed for what passengers want to do on the flight. So in the past where uh, it's been no secret that um, the earlier IFC systems have been somewhat limited in capacity. That's all going to go out the window, and we're going to see um, very, very good service levels and at very affordable pricing. So it's possible that you know not only the performance could be upgraded by the introduction of these new satellites, but it could also possibly change the type of business models that airlines are using to enable IFC. Yeah, it absolutely could. Um, I think we're going to see this business model shifting in the future. I mean, today it's primarily been passengers paying for service. Um, certainly, there, there's free messaging that's out there, but that's kind of limited in its utility. Um, but we we're seeing airlines, um, notably sort of JetBlue in North America, have offered uh, uh, free Wi-Fi for a while. Um, Japan Airlines, one of our customer airlines, has been doing it in Asia. And I think we're going to see that ongoing trend where. Um, airlines are going to be offering at least some of their passengers free service. Now, whether it's free or whether it's bundled as part of your ticket price, I guess one, one could argue. But nonetheless, you're not going to be paying for it as a, as a separate transaction. There's also, I think, another very interesting development which is happening where we're seeing cellular companies, um, mobile network operators, Verizon and the um, US being an example of, of, of a mobile network operator, and, uh, say Deutsche Telekom in Europe, um, we're seeing a variety of different mobile operators being interested in providing service on board the aircraft uh, when you're flying. We do that today with T-Mobile in the U.S., and they see it as being a very natural extension of them providing service for you when you're mobile. They're mobile telecommunications companies. They want to offer services when you're mobile. And I think we're going to see a number of them looking to enter or, or provide uh, through bundling um, uh, in-flight connectivity when you're flying. So that's another example of the way I think we're going to see quite a substantial change in the way that ISC is provided to passengers in the future. And, you know, staying again on the software-defined satellites, if you look at just the in-flight connectivity experience for the passenger, especially today, what will be the biggest difference that they'll see once these satellites are introduced? I think the biggest thing that they'll see is it'll feel quite a lot uh, better than it has in the past in terms of the, the throughput, the speed they're getting today. And I think also the consistency. Um, today when these networks are very, as I said in the past, they're very static, you can end up with uh, congested areas around hub cities, as an example. But now with these dynamic uh, networks, we're going to be able to apply capacity 
in the way that's really needed around hub cities. And so you'll have a much more consistent service than you have in the past. It'll start when the door closes, so you'll have gate-to-gate service, um, and it'll just feel um, a lot more similar to what you have on the ground today. You'll be able to stream um, with no issues whatsoever. I think we'll even see people using multiple devices. Um, I worked in the business aviation side of connectivity when I was at GoGo, and we saw aircraft where the, the number of devices connecting to the system was more than the passengers on board. I.e., had a take rate of over 100%. I think we're, we're years away from getting to those sorts of take rates in commercial aviation, but I do think it will be very commonplace in the next couple of years for uh, certainly people traveling on business to be using both a laptop and a cellular device. And I think we'll see take rates that will be significantly higher than they um, are today, just by virtue of the fact it's going to be easier to connect and much more affordable, and I think a lot more people will do it. And what about the use of that connectivity by pilots operationally? Could they also see some changes from the introduction of these new satellites? In the short term, I don't think they'll see so much of a change as the passengers will, because we do provide connectivity to EFBs um, in the cockpit today, and there are applications that out there now, like turbulence avoidance um, and fuel optimization that pilots are taking advantage of um, today. Um, they don't require a lot of data or significant data throughputs to keep those applications updated. So um, if, if a, an airline is listening today and they don't have their EFBs connected, then there's nothing stopping them from doing that today, so they can go ahead and do that. But I think what becomes interesting um, over time is when we start getting to the enablement of some of the avionics to do uh, smarter things. Uh, an example of that is what we'll call the crowdsourcing of weather radar. People have been talking about um, actually sending the data from weather radar um, off the aircraft onto the ground, having an intelligent database that can assimilate in real time a 3D view of what the pilots are seeing, and then sending all that data back to the aircraft. So there's a, um, a much uh, richer set of data and a broader set of data that pilots can take advantage of by just seeing what the other pilots around them are seeing on their own weather radar. So it's developing the uh, software around the avionics applications, which I think is going to be really uh, much more impactful over the next few years. Right, that'll be interesting to monitor. So the Airbus development deal was announced earlier this year. What is the timeline for the introduction of these new software-defined satellites? So the first of these satellites, the first, the first of the software-defined satellites will be arriving in orbit about uh, 2024, um, and there'll be others that are following on from them. Uh, Intelsat launches in general about three geostationary satellites a year, and our plan is to migrate all our future satellites onto the software-defined satellites. Uh, and then in addition, we're looking at non-geostationary satellites as well. There's a lot of uh, conversations right now going on about low-Earth orbit and mid-Earth orbit. Um, we're very actively looking at um, ha having our own non-geostationary constellation, which would uh, supplement what we're doing on the geo side. So um, we're gonna, you're going to see Intelsat bringing um, exciting new satellites, both in the geo and non-geostationary orbits, um, to the uh, Intelsat portfolio over the next few years, starting, starting um, in 2024. And if you look at the status of the current users who are using 2KU in your air-to-ground network, will the introduction of these new satellites require any onboard equipment changes to enable them to access uh, the new satellites? It's a great question. 
uh, we're very fortunate in that the antenna technology that we use from Thinkon is capable of working with all these next generation satellites I've talked about. Uh, so there's very little that has to change on the aircraft to take advantage of the new satellites. Um, maybe one or two LRUs on the aircraft have to change uh, to introduce some new modem technology. But other than that, the systems are pretty much pre-wired to be able to work with these next generation satellites. And if you look over the next year or so, you know, now that you have this plan, this roadmap out, what will your team, the commercial division of Intelsat, be focused on over the next year or so as you prepare for the introduction of these new satellites? Yeah. Um, there's not a whole heck of a lot that we have to do in the, in the commercial aviation division to get ready for it. Our colleagues on the satellite side of Intelsat have got a lot to do with it. Um, but there's things across the company that we're doing, such as um, preparing the hubs where the uh, uh, ground equipment will sit to connect to the satellites. So some of that work will be going on. Uh, we're constantly upgrading our ground network. We often think about uh, satellite operators operating just the satellites, but that's not true. We operate a very significant ground network as well that connects everything together. Um, so we're doing a lot of work in that regard to make sure that uh, the satellites are ready, that the uh, ground network pieces are ready, and then specifically in the commercial aviation side, we're making sure that our onboard software is going to be able to connect to the satellites and that all that everything connects to their ground systems and will work seamlessly from the point at which the satellites are launched. Um, John, I think our audience learned a lot today about these new software-defined satellites, so we can't wait to see them eventually come into orbit and, and start working on airplanes. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. You're very welcome. It was great talking to you, and uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime in the future. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on the Apple iOS Podcast app or any smartphone or tablet podcasting application. Feel free to rank and comment on our podcast as well to let us know how we can improve. It also helps others find the podcast. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. <laughs>